Today, we are going to be jumping into the book of Colossians. Um, If you guys were with us last week, uh, you know that we were also in the book of Colossians in chapter 2. Today, we're going to be in chapter 3, and it wasn't necessarily my intention when I was asking the Lord uh, what I was going to, you know, share with you guys today. It wasn't my intention to, like, go into the next chapter of Colossians, because Pastor Joel taught out of Colossians 2, 6, and 7 last week, but it just kind of worked out that way. And so today, we are actually going to be starting a two-part message, which I'm excited. I don't know um, if you guys have ever sat through a two-part message, but today is going to be the title of today's message, as you can see, is Putting Off, Putting Off. And we'll explain what that means in a moment, Uh, but that is the title, Putting Off, and we will specifically be in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 9. And then next week, guess what we're going to be looking at? We're going to be looking at Colossians 3, 10 through, what is it, 17. And that message, anyone have a guess what that message might be? Putting on. on. Yeah, so we're going from putting off to putting on. But today we are going to be focusing on the putting off side of things that Paul talks to us about in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 9. So let's pray, and then we will dive into God's Word together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are here to hear from you, God. Uh, Lord, we are gathered around with open Bibles and with expectant hearts. God, we pray that you would use this time, Lord, that your Word would be made so clear to us, Lord, that maybe uh, we've even read this portion of Scripture before, uh, but Lord, that you would just give us those, those insights that your Holy Spirit gives. So God, we surrender ourselves to this time. God, we ask that we would approach your word today uh, with open hearts in the sense of, uh, like, like David said, Lord, that you would show us if there's any wicked way within us, Lord God, and that if there is, Lord, if we make it to the end of this message and you are revealing those things that Uh, we may need to repent of, Lord, that we would be faithful to repent of them today. So God, we give you this time. We ask that you would be glorified in it, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so are you guys open to Colossians 3, verses 1 through 9? Yes. Nope. Some of you, yes. If you're not, open up to it at this time with your Bible. Uh, We are going to read through all of our verses today, and then we are going to kind of then move to talking about what these verses individually mean and what they collectively mean. So verse one, it says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked When you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And I know we're stopping in the middle of the sentence right there of verses 9 and 10 are actually one sentence, but the Second part of that sentence goes into what we are going to talk about next week in the putting on side of things, okay? So guys, the Christian life, it consists of this idea of putting off and putting on. And when we use this term putting off, I want you guys to write down this definition in your guided notes. When we say put off, you guys, what we're talking about is casting aside. To put off is to cast aside. And I don't know exactly what comes to your mind when you hear put off or cast aside, but what comes to my mind, uh, before I worked at the church in the junior high ministry serving with you guys here, um, I was once a PE teacher, and 
I love being a PE teacher, but one of the things about being a PE teacher is I would get home at the end of the day. So my day would look like this. Usually I would, I would go to work. I'd be outside all day in the sun, which I love the sun, so it's all good. But there were some days where it was really hot and I'd get really sweaty, you know, just doing what I do. And then I would go to the gym after work. And so I'd get even more sweaty. And so I'd get home by the end of the day um, when it's, you know, when it's time to relax. And one of my favorite things, this might sound weird, but one of my favorite things was taking my dirty socks off. I don't know why, but letting, letting these puppies breathe, you know, letting my feet uh, get, some, get some oxygen because they've been, you know, in my shoes and socks all day. And so I would take my socks off and I'd throw them at the hamper. I don't know if you guys have a hamper or something like that. You probably do. I, I saw this video recently on, it's like going viral, this machine that like you install into your wall and you can throw dirty clothes at it. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? You, it's like, it's called a what? Laundry chute, yeah, and so this, you throw it at the wall, and there's like this circle, and like it sucks in the clothes that like you are throwing at it, so it's pretty cool, but anyway, the idea of casting aside, the idea of putting off, it's like that, how I, you know, love to take my dirty socks off at the end of the day and throw them into the hamper, that's what it means to put off. You're taking off this, you know, gross and, you know, something you got to get rid of, rid of, excuse me, and you are casting it aside. Does that make sense? So if you are taking notes, thank you for saying yes. By the way, I love when you guys participate, when you say yes, when you say amen, when you even nod your head, that keeps me going up here. I love it, okay? So feel free to do that. But if you are taking notes, you guys, the first point that we are going to be looking at is the reasons we put off. The reasons we put off. And in the first four verses, you guys, we see that Paul, he gives us a few reasons why we are to put off. And we'll talk about what we're to put off eventually. But I actually like that he starts with the motivation to put off. The motivation to also what we will look at, put to death certain things in our lives. And one of the very first things he says, look at verse one, is he says, since then you have been raised with Christ. You see, the Bible teaches us, and it's clearly stated here in Colossians chapter three, that we have been raised with Christ. And I love this because this ultimately it points us back to Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, earlier in what Paul was saying in chapter 2. He says that you, being dead in your trespasses, he has made alive together with him. And I think that's awesome. Pastor Joel talked to us about last week about how when you receive Christ, then you are to walk with him. There's, when you receive Christ, you guys, there is this making alive that happens. You were dead. The Bible says that you were dead in your trespasses. You were dead in your sins. You were just living your life according to how you wanted to live. And the Bible says that that way of living is a dead life. But the Bible says that you were dead. And then what happened? You receive Christ and Christ comes and he makes you alive. And I love that. He saves us from our sin. And in the spiritual sense, he raises us to life. We were dead, now we're alive because of Jesus. And this happens in the spiritual sense of the forgiveness of sin. Now we're made alive through Jesus. There will be a day if we are to die before the rapture. Let's say the rapture happens. I don't think it will happen this late, you know, but let's say the rapture happens 200 years from now. Okay, we'll all be dead and gone by then. Hate to break it to you, you're not living that long, all right? So we'll all be dead and gone by then and our bodies will be in the ground and we will actually receive a glorified body which is the same idea that Jesus will raise our old body to life and glorify it and give us a new and improved and perfect body. Does that make sense? So he will do that, but what we're talking about here in Verse one is not that, it's more so the spiritual side of things, of how we were dead in our sins and now he has raised us to life. Is that making sense? Cool. 
So what I'm saying, you guys, is we used to live our lives, and I know you're, you're like, what, 12, 11, maybe 13, some of you, maybe even 14-year-old in here. You know, you, you, when, it, when we're talking about, you know, our sinful past and whatnot, you know, none of you were, you know, these crazy, like, drug dealers or, you know, like, stuff like that or gang members, you know, like, you don't, I mean, maybe, maybe there's one of you who's just, uh, no, there's not, but um, you don't have, like, this past that we're, you know, talking about how you formerly used to live this way, but when we read about how we formerly used to live, you guys, we all, before Jesus, did we not all just live in sin? Did we? 100% we did. doesn't matter if you were a gang member or if you were just someone who, you know, had a lying problem. We were all sinners and we formerly, meaning we used to live this way and we didn't even care about it. We just did our thing. We did what we wanted to do. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 talks about this, you guys. It says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. That's what we're talking about. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Does anyone know who that is? Nope, the prince of the power of the air is not God. It's Satan, actually. But let's keep reading. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also, I love this. He says, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Now, I want you guys to look at that verse on the screen. Does anyone notice something kind of common throughout all of these verses? Doesn't it sound like past tense when he says, you were dead in your trespasses, you once walked according to the course of this world. We all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. We were by nature children of wrath. Are you, are you seeing that? So this is how we used to live, but it's not how we live any longer. Jesus has come into our lives. And, you know, I hope that in this, in this room of, like I said, maybe 40, maybe a little less of you, I hope that I'm speaking to everyone in here as Christians. It may not be so. If you're not a Christian, then the Bible kind of teaches that you're still living like this. But when you meet Jesus, when you receive Jesus, as was described by Pastor Joel when he taught on Colossians 2, 6 through 7 last week, your life changes. It should change. It's the evidence of what you say you believe. But we no longer live this way, you guys. We have been raised and made alive by him. And so we have a completely different lifestyle that we aim to live. Now in verses one, the, the second half of verse one, we just talked about what it means to be raised with Christ. Paul goes on to say to seek the things which are above and where Christ is, he goes on to say, sitting at the right hand of God and that we are to set our mind on things above, to set our mind on things above. You see, prior to Jesus, you guys, our lives, like we just talked about, were what was described in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, the verse that was just on the screen. How we were dead in our trespasses, how we used to walk according to the lusts of our flesh. But now, you guys, we, having met Jesus, have a higher and greater calling upon our lives to live for Jesus, yes, but to also seek the things which are above. Now, when we talk about seeking the things that are above, are we talking about clouds? Clouds are above, aren't they? Yeah. Are we talking about airplanes? Aren't airplanes above? No, what are we talking about when we refer to above? Does anybody know? Heaven. We're talking about heaven. Yeah, you're to seek Jesus. You're to seek the things of heaven. You don't live your life just based on everything that happens here on this earth. Now, obviously you have to live and kind of, you know, do some stuff here based on this earth, but your mind is preoccupied with heaven. It's a completely different way of living. Seek, you guys, that word right there, it means to aim or to strive after, to work towards. That's the idea of seeking. And Paul tells us that we're to seek the things which are above. 
Anthony back there, you guys, uh, who was also up here uh, for leader introductions, he taught on 2 Corinthians 5, 9, how we're to make it our aim to please God. If you guys were here on Wednesday night, you heard that message. And that is now our aim. That is now what we seek. We seek Jesus. We seek the things which are above. Prior to Jesus, we used to just seek whatever we wanted, whether here or there, going here. You know, we just did what we wanted to do. But now it is our aim to please the Lord. But I want to talk to you guys. When Paul says to seek the things which are above, I've heard it said before, and I think it's 100% true, that there needs to be a balance of a mind that is seeking heaven and the things of heaven and a balance of a mind that is still present here on this earth. And I'm going to explain to you what I mean in just a moment. You see, it's been said that it's possible to be so heavenly minded that you're actually of no earthly good. And some people live like this. They're like, oh, I'm a Christian. I only care about the things of heaven. I don't care about, you know, the things of this earth. I'm not going to vote. I'm not going to go to the polls and, you know, try and elect candidates that are going to save babies' lives. I, I am just focused on the things of heaven. And you can, people can think like that, and they become of no earthly good. They're, they're useless here on this earth. And, and in my opinion, you guys, I, you know, I think that the one whose mind is fixed on heaven should be of the most earthly good when you think about it, right? Shouldn't the one who has their mind seeking Jesus and their mind set on the things of heaven, shouldn't they be the ones who the most active in sharing the love of Jesus with people? Yeah, I think so. Don't you think that the one who has their mind set on the things of heaven, you guys, should be the one who is the most bold in standing for what God says is right? Don't you think? I, in my opinion, I think that the one whose mind is set on the things of heaven, you guys, and is set on Jesus should be the one who, when Jesus comes back, as he describes, and this isn't even my opinion, actually, this is what the Bible teaches, when Jesus returns, he will find some who are doing nothing, and he will find some who are, as he says, busy about his father's business. And he will reward those who are busy about his father's business. But guess who are the ones who are busy about his father's business? The ones whose minds are set on heaven. And the things of heaven, as Paul describes, set on Jesus, will be the most active about God's work and God's business when our minds are set on the things of heaven. And in verses three through four, you guys, Paul, he gives us actually three reasons why we should be actively seeking that which is above and giving our minds to the things of heaven. They are in your notes. I would encourage you to write these down if you are using the guided notes. And if you're using regular notes, that's cool too. You can write that down. But the first reason, you guys, is because we have died. Now, obviously, we have not died in the physical sense. We are still here. You are still breathing, I hope. Hope I'm not, you know, never mind. <laughs> hope I'm not boring you too bad. Um, but we are dead is what the Bible teaches. You know, dead in the sense of, we're not even talking about the sense of physical death. We're not even talking about the sense of what was described in Colossians 2.13 and in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, how we were dead in our sins because did Jesus not make us alive? Isn't that what Paul said? Didn't he make us alive with Jesus? Yes, he did. Absolutely. The type of being dead here, you guys, is the, the concept of being dead to sin. I want you to write that somewhere on your notes that we are dead to sin. We're still breathing. We've been made alive by Jesus, but we are dead to sin and the sinful ways of this world. I want you guys, after you're writing that, to leave your place. And this slide's gonna be up for a little while. So if you haven't gotten all the notes yet, but uh, just leave it there. And I want you to turn in your Bible, leaving your spot in Colossians 3, turn over to Romans 6. Romans chapter 6. Verses 1 through 2 is where we will start. You're going to need to go a couple books to the left. 
in Romans 6, you guys, Paul, he talks about exactly what we're talking about in being dead to sin. I'll give you guys a little bit longer to get to Romans 6. I want you to turn there. It will not be on the screen. And remember, we're talking about how we are now dead. You guys there? Romans 6. If you're there, you know what to say. Word is word. Come on, eighth graders, you got it. You know that by now. Seventh graders, I'll give you a little grace because you might not, you might not know that yet. So when Pastor Joel's up here, he'll tell you to turn to a you know portion of scripture, and he'll always say, "When you're there, say word," and then you say word. So I was like trying to get you guys to say it without saying it for you. You know, when you're there, say word. There we go. All right, Romans six. Verse 1 through 2, let's look at it. Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Jump down to verse 6, you guys, still in chapter 6. Looking down at verse 6 now, it says, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. And jump down for our last verse in Romans 6, verse 11, you guys. It says, likewise, you also reckon yourselves, the, the word reckon means consider yourselves, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I would really encourage you to commit that last verse, especially Romans 6, 11, to memory. Uh, at least the, the six words of dead to sin, alive to God. Paul says, you have died. Back to Colossians 3. You can flip back in your Bible. Hopefully you left your spot in there like I told you to do. But Paul says, for you died, and we're talking about just exactly what was described in Romans 6 of how we are now dead to sin. The second reason that Paul gives us in verses 3 through 4, you guys, that would, the second reason of why we're to be seeking the things of heaven and giving our minds to them is because, number two, because our new life is hidden with Christ hidden with Christ. He says, your new life is hidden with Christ in God. We have a new life now, and guess who is the one who it is hidden with? The very one that we have said, I'm committing my life to you, and that is, Jesus. it's Jesus. You've if you're a Christian, and I feel like some Christians don't understand this aspect of receiving Jesus, you've committed your life to him. That means that as the Bible describes that you are not your own, nor is your own life your own now. You've given up the rights to your life to Jesus, and it is hidden with him. I love the idea of this. The idea is that it is laid up with him, that it is kept by him. Guess who's the best keeper of your life? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, God. He is. And it's the idea that we've committed our lives to Jesus and that he is the one who keeps it and guards it. I really like that. And then finally, you guys, our third reason is because one day we will appear with him. And this is what we see in verse four when he says, when Christ who is our life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And so one day, the Bible teaches we will appear with Jesus at the second coming. This is the doctrine of the second coming. Are the second coming and the rapture the same thing? No. They're not. Good job. At the second coming, the, the rapture is when we'll be taken up to heaven and we'll be with Jesus throughout the tribulation period when God's wrath is poured out on the earth. But then at the second coming, Jesus will come and establish his kingdom. Um, and guess who's going to be riding behind him on some horses? We are. And it's going to be great. I don't know if you guys like horses or if you know how to ride a horse, but you're going to, all right? And so one day we will appear with Jesus at the second coming. And, you know, I don't want to get into all of this. You know, it's a, it's a topic for another day. Uh, but 
It's going to be awesome, you guys. When, when he returns to establish his kingdom, we'll be riding behind him, and we will appear with him in glory, as Paul teaches here in verse 4. Now, if you are taking notes, let's move on to point number two, which is putting to death. Putting to death. Like, oh, man, getting kind of morbid. Literally, the word means, like, mortify, which is where the word morbid comes from. And we are talking about putting to death, you guys. He says in verse 5, the beginning of verse 5, he says, therefore. Now, I'm going to teach you guys a pro tip for when you read the Bible. And I think most of you have probably been taught about this. But when you read therefore, what should you do? You should look at what was previously said. So the word therefore kind of means like, okay, I just told you all of this. And then there's that word therefore, which means, okay, everything I'm about to say is connected to what I just said. So I like to, whenever I read the word therefore, you know what I like to almost replace it with just because it makes sense in my brain? I like to read it as this, in light of these things, and then I go on to read what it says. So when you see therefore, what should you do? You should look back at what was just said. And we just talked about what it means to be raised with Christ, what it means to have our minds set on the things of heaven and the reasons why we do that. And he says, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. You see, in light of the fact that we were raised with Christ and that our minds are to be set on heaven and we, we are now commanded to put to death our members. That word put to death, you guys, I mentioned, it means to mortify, to deprive of power, to destroy the strength. We're to put to death. What are we to put to death though? Our members. The idea is actually our human body parts. Now, we can, you know, if we're not thinking about this in the figurative sense, like it's intended to be thought of, we're going to get a little confused because you know, people, we'll, we'll talk about it in a second, but people walk around with no right hands and no eyes, um, which we'll look at in a moment what you're like, what did he just say? You're about to learn. Uh, but members, you guys, is human body parts. But the general idea of what Paul is saying here is it's our flesh. It's our fleshly tendencies, and he will actually go on to identify some specific members that we are to put to death. But like I said, if we're thinking of our members as just physical body parts, hands, legs, feet, you know, so on and so forth, this is going to be super confusing. But if we think about it in the figurative spiritual sense, you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And it actually lines up perfectly with what Jesus said in Matthew 5, you guys. It'll be on the screen for you. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches this to those who are listening to him. And Jesus at this point, he's like blowing their minds. He's like, you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but if you commit uh, or if you lust for a woman in your heart, you have committed adultery with her. And so he's like blowing their minds. They're like, we've never heard this before. And so he's teaching them these things. And he goes on to say, that if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, do you think that Jesus wants us chopping our arms off and are plucking our eyes out? No. no. But what is the overall concept of what Jesus is teaching here and what Paul is saying in putting to death our members? Yes. Yeah, we're to cut out the sin. We're to put to death the sin. And I want to, a thought that I try to think very frequently, you guys, a question I like to ask myself is how serious am I about not sinning against God? How serious am I about not sinning against God? And I try and think about this from time to time. I should think about it more often because this is what Jesus is telling us here. This is what Paul is talking about, that we're to put these things to death. Are you willing to... Maybe ask your parents to limit your internet access on your devices 
and to put parental constrictions on your devices because maybe you're looking at things you shouldn't be looking at. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to be that serious about sinning against God or not sinning against God, I mean? Are you willing to no longer hang around that crowd of friends that every time you're around them, you know you're doing things you shouldn't be doing, saying things you shouldn't be saying? Are you willing to be that serious about it? We should, we should not even hesitate to say, yes, I am. I am willing to do those things. I am willing to be that serious. You see, we should take sinning against God very seriously, you guys, because it's what the Bible tells us to do. And this is not, what I want to be careful of is say, in saying this, is this is not walking on eggshells before God, because he's merciful. He is gracious. There is grace for our failures. There is mercy for when we fall on our face. All right? But what I am saying is, if there are certain things that you can do to not sin against God, go do those things. Prevent yourself from sinning against him. I like to, just my cartoon mind, <laughs> when I'm studying the Bible, I think of images and stuff. I like, you guys remember that game Fruit Ninja? Is this still around? Yeah, I see it sometimes in the arcades and stuff now. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. It used to just be a phone game that came out, I think, when I was like in high school or something. It was pretty fun. But the idea of putting to death your members which are on the earth, I like to think about it like that fruit ninja, you know, that we're chopping up those, those members, you know, those sinful tendencies of our flesh that we're chopping in like fruit ninja. That's just, you know, don't write that down. Just, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, how I, that's how I think about it. You see, every believer, you guys, who has been redeemed by Jesus should be willing to put to death the sinful ways of their flesh so that they may please God rather than grieve the Spirit of God. Romans 6, 12 through 13 says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members, there's that same word, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And so we talked about how we are to put to death the members. What are the members? Paul actually tells us a few. And by no means is this list wholly conclusive, but this list is a good start for us to start thinking about what it means to put to death our members. Now, these aren't going to be on the screens. They're not going to be in your notes. If you have extra notes next to you, you can write these things down. But we are going to look at some of these things that are described in verses 5 uh, through, yeah, ju actually just verse 5. So he says fornication. You guys see that word in verse 5? Fornication. Not a word that we really use very much in today's day and age. But what I want you to think about when, the word, when you hear the word fornication or when you read it in the Bible, is it's sexual immorality, sexual immorality. It's any illicit, and the word illicit means unlawful, uh, sexual intercourse, sexual anything that is outside of the boundaries that God has created. You see, God, did he not create sex? And you're like, oh my gosh, the junior high guy's talking about sex. Like, did God create it? Yeah. Obviously he did. But guess what he also created with it? He created the boundaries that it is to be within. And fornication is sex that is outside of those boundaries. Now, I don't want to spend too much time here, uh, but, you know, I do want to tell you some versions of fornication is adultery. You, you read that word in the Bible, uh, adultery. It's when a man or woman will either being married sleep with someone else that is not their husband or wife, or will sleep, uh, maybe a person who's not married will sleep with a man or woman who is married. Does that make sense? Premarital sex, obviously, you know, if two people are, uh, you know, they're dating each other and they're having sex before marriage, they are fornicating. That's what the Bible teaches. And then the one that, you know, you guys are, unfortunately being bombarded with in your schools, and especially this month, is homosexuality and lesbianism. Now, I could really get going here and talking about Pride Month and everything. I'm not going to, just for the sake of time. 
But as the world is spending this month of June celebrating LGBTQ+, there's probably more letters by now. I haven't been keeping up with it. IA. IA. <laughs> there you go. As the world is celebrating these depraved lifestyles, lifestyles, I should say, God is grieved over them. God says, you're to put that way of living to death. And these, as we're going to see, these, these lifestyles are stirring up his wrath. They are stirring up his wrath. We don't have to really wonder what God thinks of Pride Month. Uh, he, he hates it. Now, I want to be careful what I say here. Because does God not love the people? 100% he does. But he hates the way they're living. And you guys do not waver on what the Bible teaches. You are going to continue to grow up. It's, it's not going to go in the other direction anymore. I hate to break it to you unless you know, God does a literal miracle and brings a revival. It's going to get worse with LGBTQ IA plus, whatever. It's going to get worse. It's going to become more normal as you guys grow older. Do not waver on what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that that way of living is wrong and that it stirs up the wrath of God. You hear me? Okay. Now, don't be a jerk about it. Love those people. Pray for them. Try to bring them to Jesus, but do not move. If this, is, if this is where God says to stand on something, you stand on that, all right? Moving on. Uncleanness. This is the impurity of living a lustful, a luxurious, and a wasteful life. People live this way, and the world loves living this way. A life of lust, a life of indulgence. Passion. Believe it or not, passion is actually a neutral word, meaning passion can be good, passion can be bad. Do you think Paul's talking about the good kind of passion here? No, he's talking about the bad kind. And we read all about this depraved passion, this sinful passion in Romans 1, 24 through 27. And I'm not going to have you guys turn there, but I would encourage you to read Romans 1, maybe just make a note of that in your notes, to read Romans 1, uh, because it is the, it's the best, uh, it is probably the best portion of scripture that you could read in Pride Month, I'll say that, because you hear about how these lifestyles grieve God and stir up his wrath. Evil desire, moving on. It's a craving for that which is forbidden. This is, an essential, this is essentially lust, you guys, that word lust that we read in the Bible, which is an uncontrolled sexual desire. Sorry about that. Covetousness. Uh, I think it was like a month ago, maybe, when we had a Wednesday night where I taught you guys about uh, contentment, and we talked about covetousness, but Covetousness, you guys, is the greedy desire to have more and more and more. Do you guys know anyone like this? Yeah. I know some people like this who their entire lives are like this. And the Bible, way back in the Ten Commandments, the Tenth Commandment is that we are to not covet. It says don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's wife, his possessions. It goes on to give a few more things. But covetousness, you guys, he says, is idolatry. It's kind of interesting when you think about it, because we usually think about covetousness and idolatry as like separate things. But Paul says, no, they're actually, they're very connected. Because covetousness in its truest sense, you guys, is, is making a God out of something that you want. And that's, that's idolatry in its truest form. Now, here's the thing about these members that we're to put to death. I highly doubt that any of you are actively living these lifestyles. If anything, maybe some of you are living in fornication. That's between you and the Lord. You got to get that right with him. But I highly doubt that you guys are out living these crazy lifestyles that are described here. But what you may be doing is you may be sowing seeds to them. 
you may be like dabbling a little bit in these ways of life. And I would encourage you, as Paul says, as God says, to put them to death, to chop it up like fruit ninja. Verse 6 says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. That's a pretty scary verse. That because of these things, because of all these sinful lifestyles, you guys, God's wrath will one day be poured out upon the earth. Do you guys ever, and I'm going to be the first one to raise my hand. Do you guys ever wonder why, like, God is not doing something about, like, the injustices and, like, the sinful ways of life we see people living? You're like, Lord, why are, why are you just not, you know, lightning striking this guy right now? <laughs> but the Bible teaches us that his wrath is being stirred up and that one day it will be poured out. You guys ever been to, like, Raging Waters or Soak City? I love the, this. This makes, this makes so much sense to me. You know that big old bucket that fills up with water? Think about that like the wrath of God. That the water is filling, and it's filling, and it's filling. And we're like, when? You're standing there. Now, you don't want to be under this bucket when it pours one day. But you'll be standing there, and you're looking up at this bucket, and you're like, how much more? How much more water is this thing going to take? And then there comes that moment where that bucket pours out, and it basically knocks you to the ground because there's so much water. And that's like the wrath of God, only you don't want to be standing under that bucket. But those who live this way will be standing underneath that bucket. God's wrath will be poured out. It's filling up the bucket, and he will pour it out one day. But guess what? We ain't going to be here. (laughs) I love that. Because God's wrath is going to be poured out, but we won't be here. Verse 7, he says, In which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. I love that Paul gives us that gentle reminder, you guys, of remembering that we too were once guilty. You might not have been guilty of every one of these things, but you were guilty. I was guilty of living a life of sin. And I think there's a healthy sense of remembering where you came from. I really do. Now, what I'm not saying is is that you should dwell on all the things that you used to do wrong against God, but you should remember that you too used to be guilty before the Lord, before you met Jesus. And we would do well to remember of how Jesus changed us too. You know, I mentioned Pride Month and I mentioned that we're to love those people. You might not have been exactly like them living that life, but you too were guilty before God, before God came and Jesus saved you and changed you. And if we think about this, Rather than being angry, you know what we're going to feel? Anguish. It will break our hearts, and it should motivate us to share the love of Jesus. I remember uh, a mentor I had shared that with me. He said, you know, a lot of people are so angry with sinners. There's so much anger, but there's not enough anguish. That anguish word means to be brokenhearted over something. And this is exactly what it means to be compassionate, you guys, We are called to be compassionate. And then finally, you guys, our third point today, you guessed it, is putting off. So we looked at putting to death our members, now putting off, which we see this is in verses 8 through 9. He says, put off all these. Remember, when we think about putting off, it's like throwing away that dirty pair of socks at the end of a long day. And this list of things that he's going to go on to tell us about putting off, the, this list of things, you guys, is kind of actually different than the first list of things in that you're going to see these things are actually a lot more tolerated, a lot more glossed over in our lives. We know not to be fornicators. We know not to be covetous. We know not to be unclean and full of evil desire. We know that. What about, what about the things that we're about to look at, like anger, lying? We'll go on to examine these individually in just a moment. But I want you guys to remember that, you know, we, we think of sins as big sins and little sins sometimes, and yeah, okay. But any sin, any sinful thing is a big deal because any sinful thing grieves the heart of God. 
We're commanded to put off all sins. Anger, you guys, is the first one that he says here in verse 8. He says anger, and then he goes on to say wrath. Now, in the Bible, in the original language, these words are actually like, they go like this. They go hand in hand. It's almost like hard to tell when translating from, because the Bible was written in Greek and Aramaic, the New Testament was, I should say. It's hard to tell if he's talking about anger, if he's talking about wrath. But this one, we know he's talking about both. And they're very closely related. Almost, they're hard to distinguish. But I would say that the main difference between anger and wrath, you guys, is anger is more so what you feel on the inside when you're boiling up with being mad. And wrath is the kind of like what you do about it. Like you might be mad at your brother or sister for, you know, walking into your room and leaving the door open when they leave. Uh, But wrath is when you go back to their room and you, uh, I don't know, you leave their door open, I guess, you know, or you'd probably, the way that we work is we usually do something a little bit worse, right? Don't we? We, we take it a step further. That's, that's what wrath looks like. But what's important to understand about anger and wrath, you guys, is that they are actually not inherently sinful, meaning there is a righteous anger. There is a righteous wrath. But guess who's the one who's capable of having a righteous anger and a righteous wrath? Is it us? No, it's God. Because when we have anger and wrath in our hands, we, we always take it a step too far, you guys. There was a birthday party that I went to probably when I was about your guys' age. One of my best friends, um, I shared this story a long time ago, um, and some of you might remember, but it was a birthday party, and there were these uh, inflatable toys that every boy was given. It was an all-boys party. And there were these inflatable guns. And, you know, they were intended to be like, you know, army, you know, like bang, bang. You know, that was what we were supposed to play. But we get this idea of like, hey, why don't we start hitting each other with these things? And so we do. We start hitting each other with these inflatable guns. And all is fine. Everybody's having a good time. We make teams. You know, if you get hit, you're out or whatever. And so we're hitting each other. And then, like, I notice, like, we're starting to hit each other kind of hard with these things. And they're kind of starting to deflate. And so now they're getting to a point where you get hit by these things and it actually kind of hurts. And so I'm getting hit in the face. I'm hitting people in the face. And then this, like, this party gets to the point where there's full-on fights breaking out at this party. Like we dropped the guns. I was not involved in any of them. But we, the guns are dropped and like, dudes are like squabbling on the floor. Like they're punching and, and wrestling. And it's the idea of this is how we handle anger and wrath, you guys. It's like, hey, you hit me. I'm going to hit you like 10% harder, right? Well, you hit me 10% harder. I'm going to hit you 10% harder. And then it takes it to the next level where we're fighting, you know, that's the idea of anger wrath. That's why we're to put those things off because we don't know how to justly show anger and wrath. You get what I'm saying? We mess it up, but God does not. Malice, which is ill will, malevolence, hatred, Wishing for another to be in pain. Wishing for another to be in pain. We sometimes do this, believe it or not. Blasphemy. Now, we know blasphemy in the sense of blaspheming against God, but this blasphemy is actually like slandering another person. I don't know if you guys ever see uh, the political ads on TV. You ever see those? You'll see some slander if you're watching closely. You know, I'm going to exaggerate for a moment, but you'll see things like, this candidate hates puppies. Like, <laughs> it's like the guy might love puppies, but these, these ads are like, yeah, he hates puppies. You're blaspheming that man's good character. That's what blasphemy looks like as it's described here. Filthy language. Do I need to elaborate on that? No. You, you know what that is, especially if you played... Call of Duty in, in lobbies where there's game chat and stuff. You hear it. That's the way, like, when I was in high school, man, it was, that's filthy language. Uh, then he goes on to say, do not lie to one another. You guys, God hates lying. He does. And if any of these, like, if any of these have us guilty, I think it's this one. We lie. We do. My brother-in-law, when he was like three years old, I love this story, ate a glow stick. You guys know those glow sticks? Yeah. He ate a glow stick. And yeah, I know. 
He was three. Come on, give him a break. <laughs> looked tasty. Looked like an icy. But he eats a glow stick, and my mother-in-law, his mom, when he's a, a little boy, goes to him, did you eat the glow stick? No. Andrew, it's all over your mouth. You're glowing. I didn't eat the glow stick. I don't know what you're talking about. We lie. We lie. And we shouldn't because lying is something that God actually hates is what the Bible says. It's funny. Sometimes I'll be back there. One of my jobs when Pastor Joel is teaching is to try and keep you guys free from distraction. And this is what will happen sometimes. Someone's sitting here talking. And I'll go up to him, hey, can you stop talking? I'm not talking. I just watched you talk. I'm not talking. We lie. We're so guilty of it. So you guys, we have been commanded, we're wrapping up now, we have been commanded to put off the old man and his deeds. This is the last points in your notes. To put off the old man and his deeds. Romans 6, 6 says that our old man was crucified with him. So I want you guys, as you're writing down that final couple words, we could hit the lights. And it would not be right of me to give you this message. And worship team, you guys can come on out. It would not be right of me to give you this message and not give you a chance to go before the Lord and to put to death any members that might be in your life or to put off any sinful ways that you might need to do that. You need, we, we all need to go before the Lord. I'm going to do it with you. We're going to go before the Lord right now. We're going to have a quiet moment with him. We're going to ask him to search our hearts if there's any wicked way in us. And if there is, we're going to ask for his help in putting it to death or putting, putting it off. All right? So it's just going to be a quiet moment right now. And then worship team, you guys, 30 seconds or so, you go ahead. Lord, thank you for your word, Lord, how it challenges us. And God, we pray right now that you would search us. Lord, even, even though it's our heart dwelling within us, Lord, we don't even know the depths of our sinful nature. God, would you reveal that even right now? And students, just talk to the Lord right now, you and him. Ask him to search you. If there's any sinful way, you're to put it off. Tomorrow, or uh, next week, excuse me, we'll talk about what we're to put on. But we must put off before we put on. So ask him to help you in the putting off right now.